Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to the Diary of an Addict podcast. I'm your host, Jack Smith. The Diary of an Addict is a place where people can share their stories about life and addiction, including active addiction and addiction recovery. Sharing these moments, raw and unfiltered, has a twofold effect. It helps the storyteller deal with shame and guilt, which are obstacles in almost everyone's recovery journey, and it also helps bond ties with the listener who may have thought nobody truly understood them. Listening to stories that most people would hide in a diary may help others feel like they are not alone. Hearing someone say it took them multiple times to finally stay sober might encourage someone else not to give up. Stories have the power to help not only the person listening, but the person telling. The listener gains a sense of hope and inspiration while the storyteller liberates themselves by using their life experiences to create a survival guide for others with similar struggles. Everyone on this podcast, myself included, started at the same place, rock bottom. But that's the thing about rock bottom. There ain't nowhere to go but up. So join me as we listen, learn, and grow together. And remember that people with wounds... Listen to people with scars. Today, our special guest is none other than Rob Martins. I'm excited for this story because it's one I've never heard before, at least firsthand. I've gotten to know Rob a little bit during the second half of his recovery journey, and the way that he recovers out loud is an inspiration to myself and many others. And that's the real goal here, right? To use the power of our story to inspire hope and change even if it helps just one person. Our story is our strength, and we should own it. First off, I want to say thank you for uh, agreeing to come and share your story. Um, I know that's a hard thing to do uh, for myself. I Actually, I'm sharing my story in a couple episodes. I've never done it myself, you know, but... uh, Yeah. It's rewarding, yeah. So I just want to say thank you first and foremost, uh... I, I'm familiar with you a little bit, you know, uh, because you're one of the rare people who you tell your story by living your life, at least in my opinion. And, uh, I think that resonates so much because just you living your life, uh, you know, just like the conversation we had earlier, taking your kids school clothes shopping, you know what I mean? Like it's little things like that, that, that most people are striving for, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot oh, of people yeah. lost connection with families, with kids, with friends, and they just want that back. So it's yeah. it's awesome just to see you living your life and telling your story that way. But I feel like I feel like I, I myself I want to know I want to know the Rob Martin story. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. I, I'm a big fan of any kind of podcast that um, really I relate to. Um, I like. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I listen to a, a few Native American ones, and this is another Native one that also is about addiction and recovery, which is, you know, yeah, that's my life, big time. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I think, like, the first, like what you said is uh, the way my story is the way I live my life. I really like that because, that's like the number one way that we as people in recovery can help people. And it doesn't have anything to do with speaking or going to meetings or, you know, um, 
by you know doing outreach work the number one way to help other people is to live your life and do good with your life because people are going to see that shit you know what i mean like i saw some people getting clean that i thought would never get clean and then i thought no if they could do it i can do it and so that's what i tell people all the time is like the the best way to carry the message is to just live your life clean and sober you know what i mean and recover out loud you know what i mean like shoot if you're in recovery tell everybody you're in recovery and and yeah like we me and you kind of know each other and we never was like we know we're from the same neighborhood same reservation and same circles but we never really was like out there together in it you know what i mean that's I always thought that was a little, you know, like yeah. uh, how how did that happen? And you know, what I mean? you know, I, you know, I was actually, I was actually telling a friend of mine, like, I think I've seen you out one time, but it was when I was like seventeen. You know, what yeah. I mean? uh, well, I spent like I remember, you know, like um, I get, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're cool with like you know, parts of your story being in there. So I know, I mean, he was like hustling and stuff a lot. And so I had spent money with you, but I just didn't go in because I was like, no, I don't know him. You go in there. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know how it is. Like you don't want to weird somebody out. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. I was just, I'm in a little bit of an older, my gen, you know, I come from one generation up kind of, you know, Yeah. but yeah, man. But anyways, yeah. So Rob Martins, man, if, if I was to be like, if I was to tell somebody that I had never met, you know, I definitely, um, I grew up a little different from your typical, um, uh, Eastern band Cherokee from the reservation because, uh, my mom took me and my mom left the res when I was just a baby. Soon, like not long after I was born, we left and my mom married this white guy that was in the air force. And, um, he actually adopted me, and that's how my, I got the name Martin. So when I was born, my name was Robert Glenn Reed. I was named after my grandpa, Glenn Reed. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, that um, my mom married a guy who happened to also just happened to be named Robert as well, and he adopted me, and they changed my name from Reed to Martins. So I grew up like um Air Force brat, you know, in a yeah, like, military base. How is that different, do you think, from the uh, regular red life? Different, man. Like, so, um, so I came home pretty much every summer. You know, we would come to Cherokee and, uh, I would stay for like some time at my grandparents' house. Then I might stay at my aunt Carolyn's house up there, Cove, and I'd stay for a while at my aunt Marcelina's house. I would just kind of bounce around. And, um, military life. And military school was way different from, from Rez life, man. Like I never saw any kind of poverty my whole life until I like came home to live. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't like crime wasn't, you know, there was no gangs. I didn't see none of that kind of stuff. Like, uh, tell me and my mom came back to live in Cherokee right after I finished 10th grade, me and her. So I went to 11th grade and 12th grade at Cherokee school. <clears throat> so and and like we didn't have we weren't rich at all either you know what I mean like but my brother's dad made made good money you know what I mean like um and I I didn't even know it until I was like you know back on my own in Cherokee you know what I mean like when I became a grown-up I realized that the way me and my brother grew up like we we lived well you know what I mean 
Yeah. Like we weren't rich, but we had everything we needed. You know, we never went without anything, you know. But uh, and we definitely weren't like privileged or nothing, you know what I mean? We just lived comfortably, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It uh I know that as for me, uh I kinda had like the opposite story of you as I grew up with a single mother on the res, you know, and then <clears throat> when I got to college and stuff and I seen my teammates and, you know, they, they probably came from a background like you grew up. So it was kind of culture shock for me, you know, did, uh, was there all, I'm sure in the military, I'm not going to say that military people are like perfect, but you know, they're, they're pretty good at like being disciplined and structured and stuff. So I assume that although they're not infallible, I felt like most military families, like they're probably got a mom and a dad, you know? Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I grew up, you know, and so that's a part of my story, like where, you know, like, you know how addiction is like much, much deeper than drugs and alcohol, right? Like we've come to learn that. So when I was born, so my dad, my real dad was a white man, right? And I came out looking just like him, you know, and all my cousins are all dark, you know, like black hair and dark skin, Cherokee, you know, they look, they look native, you know? Yeah. And I have blue eyes and, and like blondish hair. So when I was a kid, like they all picked on me, you know what I mean? So like as early as I can remember, I like had bad self-esteem and, and I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't love who I was. I was ashamed of like how I looked at an early age, you know what I mean? Like way too young to be having those kind of psychological, you know, thoughts and stuff, you know? I'm sure because you were kind of like living in both worlds, like oh, in this yeah. world, in the military world, they were probably making fun of you for not being completely white. And then you get home to the reds, you know, and you're not Indian enough. I mean, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Big time. So like in our household, right. You know, my mom was proud to be Cherokee. You know what I mean? And we, we had like our house was like decorated with like cool stuff, you know, from the reds that my mom would put up and pictures and everything and uh we would always talk about it like oh yeah we're Cherokee you know what I mean but you know how it is like everybody thinks that they're Cherokee you know what I mean oh, so <laughs> so it was weird you know but we were like no like we, we we're from an Indian reservation you know like <laughs> you know it was like <laughs> my grandma was not a Cherokee princess my grandma was Cherokee you know what I mean like yeah, you know yeah. but yeah. But that's the thing, too, is, like, I didn't ever see racism either. So I lived for, like, till I was in, like, fifth grade, I lived on Pope Air Force Base, which is also in North Carolina. It was probably, like, five, six hours from Cherokee. But that military life was structured. Like you said, like, you didn't hear about kids getting arrested or, like, my friends weren't, like, smoking cigarettes and trying drugs in fifth grade, you know, stuff like that. And, uh... Also, I had friends from like all races. You know what I mean? Like the military is pretty uh culturally um acceptable and and there was like I had African American friends, I had Mexican American friends, you know, I had friends from all nationalities, you know, and so I didn't never uh I never really seen racism at all either till I till I came back home. You you're right about like two different worlds cuz it really was, you know, two different worlds, you know. But that everything changed when uh, I was about to go into the sixth grade because my brother's dad got deployed or not deployed, but 
we moved to Okinawa, Japan when I was getting ready to start sixth grade. Wow. Yeah. And that place was like, it was like paradise, man. Like it's tropical island. So Okinawa is an island that's like way south of Japan. It's not Japanese. It's like Okinawan people would be offended if you called them Japanese. It'd be like calling somebody from El Salvador Mexican. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, sir. <clears throat> so Okinawan people are like real proud to be from Okinawa. And Okinawa is like a really small island. But I went to a really big school when I was there. There was like, there was a few thousand students in my school, in middle school. You know what I mean? Like even in middle school. And it was like, it wasn't like I went to school with like Okinawan kids. It was Americans, military people, you know? Yeah. But it, that's really where I, I um, started meeting people from all different nationalities. You know what I mean? Like I had friends that were Filipino American, Korean American, you know, all kind of any part of Asia, there was somebody from there, you know? And that yeah, was you, really cool. Did you experience any racism while you were there? You know, As a lot of Okinawan people were not fond of Americans, you know, but yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too bad. You know what I mean? It was not like, it was more, um, more, it was more the opposite actually though. You know what I mean? Like it was fun to explore off base and go different places. Like, you know, we, me and my brother grew up to be like pretty adventurous. So we would, you know, try all kinds of new things, new foods, you know, um, different, you know, go to all these different festivals. It was really a, an amazing time in my life, man. And, uh, I was big into running and playing soccer, you know, um, and so I was like, I never even considered doing drugs or anything like that, you know, like smoking cigarettes. I, w I was really against that kind of stuff. I like dabbled around with some alcohol while I lived over there because you didn't have to be of any age to buy alcohol off base. So like I can remember being like 14 and me and my friends went and like bought some alcohol at the store and drank it, you know, and got real sick and, you know, like it didn't become a problem or anything, you know what I mean? But like, that was like my first little experience with all that, that kind of, that kind of stuff. And then, um, so I ended up being there for, let's see, I started sixth grade and was just about to complete 10th grade when me and my mom came back, kind of really un unexpected. Me and her just ended up coming back because she just she was gonna get a divorce from from my brother's dad. I mean, her just came back, man, just like that. You know, it happened happened so fast, man. Did that catch you as a shock right there? Did you wanna I mean, did you did you wanna leave or? Yeah, I mean, okay. So I I had like my group of friends there, like really good friends. Like we were all in the same stuff, you know, like uh, all kinds of like we used to play soccer and. We were like really into aggressive, like inline skating and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, played hockey when I was there a lot. All kind of sports, you know, me and all my friends played sports. But we were supposed to, I was supposed to graduate high school there. And then my plan was to join the Air Force, you know. Yeah. But I didn't, so I didn't, I didn't get along with my brother's dad from the time I was, I don't, I think I was like 11 or 12 when I found out that he wasn't my dad. Like, I didn't even know that, you know, until yeah. my mom told me. And then I had, 
I was always causing problems, you know, because I wasn't I wasn't a good kid, but I wouldn't say I was like a like a bad kid. Like I wasn't like getting into legal trouble and stuff like that, but I was real manipulative. And if I wasn't happy, I would like cause an argument between her and him and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But me and my brother were real close. My brother was like my brother's like four years younger than me. And we were always real close, but he was going to stay. He was going to stay with his dad in Okinawa, and, and I was coming back. That was the hardest part, you know. That was – um I was ready. To, I thought – I was like, yo, we're going back to Cherokee. Like, that's what I always wanted was to, to be here and to live here. So I thought that was going to be, like, a great thing, you know. But I was yeah. sad to leave him there. You know, that was that was the hardest part, you know, my leaving my friends and then leaving my little brother, you know. That's tough. How long did he end up staying there? I think without you for a few more years before. So I graduated. So we we left from there. It couldn't have been that long, actually. It was probably like two or three more years, and then they moved to Florida and to an Air Force base in Florida. So, but you know, it's not like you can't just go home and visit from Okinawa. You know what I mean, like. It's on the yeah. other side of the world, you know. So I didn't, I didn't get to see him again until he moved to Florida, and then he came up here on a spring break or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, um, so you, I, so when I got back to Cherokee, you know, as soon as I got back, like the first thing, of course, I see my grandparents. You know what I mean? And I hug them, and then I run straight up the hill to my cousin Stevie Ross's house. He was like two years younger than me. So I was like 15 at this time. And uh, I like busted in the door at my aunt and uncle's house and he was in there. And the first words he says to me, man, are not like, hey, Rob, how you doing? I haven't seen you in four years. You know, I missed you. I love you. It was the first words out of his mouth were, do you want to get high? And I said, wow. yeah, like right away. Like I just said, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I never, I don't it's still, when I think about it to this day, it's still like, well, like, why would I just say, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but I said, yeah. And he like, he got like some, he stole some weed from off the top of the fridge from his stepdad. And we went down to the Creek and smoked it, you know, and like literally like it was on and popping full speed ahead from that moment for the next 20 years of my life. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'll never forget that day. Like, you know, especially like my cousin Stevie, you know, he's, he's dead and gone, man. He, he overdosed some years back in, uh, in 2011, you know, but yeah, we, that was it. That was where it all started for real. Like, and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I wish like, you know how a lot of people in the beginning, when they start smoking pot and stuff, they're like, Oh, I'll, I'll never do drugs and I'll never do this and I'll never do that. But I wasn't yeah. like that, man. I was like, yo, I want to, this is great. Like I want drugs have got to be even better. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to try right. any and every drug there was, man. Bring me the strong stuff, huh? Yeah. You know, like I wasn't never scared of that, which is, is weird because that wasn't like my personality. Like, and then like, so I'm in 11th grade at Cherokee high school. So I go from a high school in Okinawa that had at least 3,000 students in it to, like, I met everybody in my grade on the first day of school. 
at Cherokee. You know what I mean? Like we're talking like 50 students, maybe, you know, yeah, in my maybe. grade. Yeah. And, um, everybody, you know, like it was cool because like I hadn't known, I knew a bunch, I knew a lot of the people already because where I spent every summer here, you know what I mean? Like, I knew all my cousins and stuff, of course, but I had like friends too, you know, that I had, that I had already, I had known since I was a little kid, you know? So it, it, I was like happy to be home, even though I was not like culturally involved at all. Like I had no idea what it meant to be Cherokee at that time in my life, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of like you were the new kid at the school, even though you were like basically born here, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And so since I had been in the military life, like I already knew, like it was not in the military, it was nothing to be the new kid. Like there's new kids every single week in military school. You know what I mean? But at Cherokee, yeah. that's like very rare. You know what I mean? So like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the girls liked me. You know what I mean? A lot of the dudes did not. You know, which I was okay with that. I could handle that. You know what I mean? But so I was just having fun. You know what I mean? Like, and, and another thing was that in the military, you know, I had always just been the kind of student that was like barely making it. You know, like I didn't care about school. I didn't care about schoolwork, but I, I could do enough to just get by and I was okay with that. You know, but at Cherokee, I was like getting decent grades. You know what I mean? Like, because the schoolwork was kind of like behind the military school, you know, so it was easier. The schoolwork was easier for me, which I I thought that was like good. It made my mom happy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was yeah. like doing good at school, which was different. But yeah, and then so like where I was like getting high already, like I was smoking weed and stuff, and and everybody knew that I was like pretty vocal about it. Like that became like. My identity was like, oh, that's Rob, and he parties, you know? Yeah. And so people are, like, partying on the weekend constantly, you know? And I and I would go and hang out, and I, would start, I was starting to drink. I was starting to smoke pot, you know? I, I started doing, like, cocaine um, by the time I was 16, you know? And uh, it's crazy because how fast it, it got out of control, you know? By the time I was 18, I was a full-blown drug addict. You know, doing I was doing cocaine and I was smoking crack some back then. Uh, the big thing, the big things around here were was cocaine. That was like the only hard drug you could get around here in that time. This is like 1998, 1999. Yeah, and and it was hard to get that, you know. But like, I I immediately started making connections, not at school, but like with the older generation. You know, I was, I was making, uh, I was, cause I wanted to buy pot. So I didn't want to like give my money to people, you know what I mean? So I'd be like, no, introduce me to the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would. Yeah. And I was just, I was cool back then. Like I wasn't like, I wasn't junked out at all. You know what I mean? And so people were like, okay, this dude's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, I'm going to sell him whatever he needs, you know? And it yeah. just, uh, it worked out like that was where I was able to go and buy cocaine from like one, like the only big guy around here at that time, which was absurd because, you know, he didn't like fuck with young guys and kids like that. You know what I mean? And here I was like 16, 17 rolling up there like, yo, you know, I need a gram, I need a eight ball, you know, yeah, whatever, you know what I mean? 
and I could get yeah. that. It was crazy, man. You know, it's but, uh, you enter, you mentioned that I, I, and sometimes I have these full circle moments. Like, uh, I'm, you know, you've been to, you've obviously been to con. We've both been to con. For those of you who don't know, it's a rehab ran by our tribe in Snowbird, Robbinsville, North Carolina, but. They have this book and it talks about how everything's interconnected. Mm. And even, even, even when we were doing bad, you know, life was still about connections. Like for me and myself, I had to know where to get the biggest amount for the lowest price. And then after I did that, I had to know where I could go and who would pay the top dollar for said thing. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to say that it just like, it was like a light bulb moment, you know? Yeah, it's definitely things really do are in circles, even if it's good or bad. You know what I mean? And that's that you're a hundred percent right with that. You know, so all this time at that age in my life, like I, I didn't, I didn't care anything about being indigenous. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I wasn't concerned with that at all. You know what I mean? Like I was on the messed up mindset of like, you know, the res is like like the hood you know what i mean and, and i wanted to be a gangster and, and i was i was that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be like a bad boy and like get in trouble and break the law and steal stuff and i never could get into the hustling concept you know what i mean like for me i didn't care like you could give it to me for free and i could not make any money you know what i mean because once i got it in my hand like i was doing it you know what i mean like yeah. I, I had a lot of good connections to buy drugs on the low low price but i never could sell it never i never was you know what i mean that never was me man like i I just wanted to get high and i just wanted to party and that was it you know and for a long time like you know in true like with most people's stories you know like it it wasn't like at a it wasn't a problem like i was able to make decent money after i graduated high school like doing construction and um, I could drink beer and smoke weed all through the week and then I could do hard drugs on Friday and Saturday and then work all week. You know, that that was the that was the circle I was in for a long time, you know. And I yeah. could pay some bills and, and you know, my family still I wasn't stealing like ever. You know what I mean? Like but it was almost like you uh you had it under control, air quotations, or you were maintaining, you know what I mean? Yeah. Functioning yeah. as an act. Yeah. You know, like, um, cause I would, like, uh, not a lot of people my age were doing those kind of drugs. You know what I mean? So it's not like it is now, where it's like all the young people that are doing, getting high or like doing real drugs, like people like really looked down on me for that. You know what I mean? Cause it was like, not a lot of people were smoking crack in 1999 here in Cherokee. You know what I mean? Not people my age. Yeah. And so I was like 18, you know what I mean? Like, and so I could just do it on the weekend and I, that was okay. But slowly, you know, well, not, I don't know, I guess slowly. Yeah. By the time I was like 20, I was, it got dark because that's when I started using a needle. You know, I started shooting up cocaine and, stuff you know smoke i was it just got real dark because that's when i started using the needle was when i was 20 and then lost the relationship with my first kid's mother um started 
you know, you can't work a job and be a junkie at the same time. It just doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? Like you had to, you have to commit crime. You either have to sell dope or you got to steal to get that high every day, you know? And I wasn't selling no dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just stealing anything I could do to make money. I was doing it. You know, I was still from anybody in my family, um, anybody's family, you know, like there was no, there was no rules and where I had always been pretty smart, you know, like I, I was able to mastermind all these little licks to hit and stuff like that, you know, and it was just like a game to me, you know, like I didn't, uh, I didn't know where it was going to take me, you know what I mean? I had, I had no idea where it was going to take me, but even if I had known, like I wouldn't have been able to stop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty tough, bro. I, I, when you say that, it resonates with me because I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it was for sure a downward spiral. It wasn't a straight down, though. You know what I mean? It had yeah. a little angle. So, like, but in hindsight, you know, when you see some of these things or you, you now that you can think with not only a clearer mind, but you've always said you've been pretty smart, but now you've, you know, you've been to school more and you've learned a little bit more about how addictive mind works, like, it's it's easy to look back and say, you know, man, I should have did this or did that. But do you do you think there was a specific moment in time that you felt like you had like lost all control? Or oh was yeah, it more than Many, definitely more than once. Because so I had my first little um, taste of of treatment and rehab, you know, at in the in the very beginning. So you know, right when I started really becoming like a junkie, and when, when I say junkie. Like, I'm not trying to label people that are listening. I'm really just, you know, for me, I'm okay with using that terminology. Like, you know, I was, when I say junkie, I mean like a, a street person that's using a needle. You know what I mean? Like, that's who I was. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to put nobody down at all. But when I was first became a, a junkie, I knew, I knew right away, like, I had, this was serious. And so I, told my mom about it and and she was like okay you need to go to the hospital and then the hospital continued to rehab you know what I mean and so I went to rehab at a young age when I was like 19 19 or 20 was the first time I went to rehab man and uh I wasn't like one of those people that was like hated rehab like I it, I loved it when I went to rehab like it felt so good hey boy it's my grandson come running in here um, awesome, the first time I went to rehab, man, I loved it. You know what I mean? Like, um, it was like a vacation, you know? Um, cause I was already like full blown living the street life. You know what I mean? Like, um, nowhere to stay. I had a car. I always had a car for a long time in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like the first 10 years of, of the darkness. I got, I always would buy a car, like every per cap, I'd buy a car and I'd drive it for a few months and it might get impounded or I might crash it and I'd buy another one, you know, at per cap time. But um I went to rehab, man, and I, and I had a good experience there. And I, I really liked the message that they were telling me, you know, and, and uh there was this one counselor. So the first time I went to rehab, I went to Black Mountain over in Asheville. And yeah. there was this one counselor. And I can't remember his name now. He's like this big black dude, man, and and he talked like we talked. You know what I mean? He wasn't like all proper. Like he was like always wearing nice J's. Like he had nice clothes on, man. And you could tell that he was like he used to to live the same life we was living. You know? 
Yeah. And he, he told, he always kept telling me, he was like, they just called me Cherokee over there. You know, they, they didn't really call me Rob. They called me Cherokee because I was the only one from yeah. Cherokee. And he was like, listen, man. He's like, I know you ain't getting the message this time. He's like, but if you live long enough, one day you're going to remember this, you know? And he was like, uh, you have to change everything. He's like, you, you can't fuck with the same people no more, man. You can't run in those circles. You can't, you can't just take a little bit of recovery and be successful. He's like, you have to change everything, man. He said, you have to change your mindset. You know, he's like, you have to change the way that you walk because like I had this like walk, you know what I mean? Like the way that I walked just portrayed like, yo, this guy's from the street. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the way that I walk, even if you just never met me back then, you could tell from the way that I walked that I was involved in, in shady stuff. You know what I mean? I, th- I think for for the younger generation, I don't really know, but like in the nineties and two thousands, like having a little a little pimp, a little pimp lamp in your step, or a little giddy yes. up, or a little hitch, yeah. you know that that's what people did, you know, to to let yeah. people know. Like it identified me as like you know you can come ask me to get you some drugs, you know what I mean? Like, and then I was gonna rip you off, but. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that was the, you know, for real. Like I, I really had no, and at the time, like I was like, whatever, man. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to, I was that guy at rehab that was like, yo, I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? Like I got this. You know, I wasn't, I thought I was cured. You know what I mean? Like, and I had only been 28 days. You know what I mean? But as soon as I got home from that place, I was right back into the same stuff. You know what I mean? And, and I knew that I didn't want to quit. You know what I mean? Like, Cause I, you know, I still had all my teeth, you know what I mean? I wasn't like, I didn't have no record, you know, I wasn't a convicted felon, you know, my mom still loved me, you know, uh, my family still like trusted me, you know, I, I hadn't been nowhere near rock bottom, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what rock bottom was at that time, you know? Yeah. Then, so at, at the time you might even say you, you wasn't doing that bad, you know what I mean? Even yeah. though you were getting high, you had just left rehab, like you still weren't doing that bad, yeah. I would say. No, you know, I wasn't, you know, there was guys in there that were, that were my age now that, that were in their thirties and forties, you know, that were bad off, you know, is how I was viewing them, you know, when I was 19, you know what I mean? Like I I wasn't sharing needles or picking needles up off the side of the road at that time in my life. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know what was coming. You know, I had no idea what was coming. You know, I was young and dumb and, I thought I knew what I was doing, man. But I remember that counselor. He told me he's like, "You're not ready yet." But he wasn't a he wasn't like an asshole about it. He was like just being honest with me, you know, like real honest. He was like, "You ain't gonna make it," you know. But I hope that you live long enough, and one day you're gonna remember when I tell you this. And damn, if he wasn't a hundred and ten percent right, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's uh that part right there. I think let me know like even before you said he wasn't being an asshole about it the fact yeah. that he said you lived long enough it really yeah. meant that he wants you to hear what he had to say but sometimes yeah. you know somebody can have the somebody could have a direct message from god for you oh yeah because you're not ready to listen you know what i'm saying yeah so man like um you know like all that stuff that so like I had I, at this point in my life like I had already been all around the world you know what I mean like I had lived so many different lifestyles you know like I grew up had a brother we had a dog we had a cat you know uh 
We had food in the kitchen. We went on vacation every summer, you know, like, you know, not your typical res life story. And then I had also been homeless and strung out, you know, I've been locked up, you know, uh, you know, I had lived so many different kind of lifestyles, man. And, um, the lessons that I had was learning, I would keep them, you know what I mean? Like, and so, you know, fast forward a few more years after that first rehab experience, you know, like I get down and out and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go to rehab. You know, I was looking at some jail time and uh, I told the lawyer, I was like, well, you know, I could go to rehab. I could get clean, you know? And they were like, okay, well, if you do that, you know, we won't, we won't lock you up. So I was like, okay, cool. So I went to play the game again. You know, I knew that I wasn't going to get clean, but I, I wanted to go to rehab again. And so this time I ended up going to like a Christian rehab. And so up until this point in my life, I had never had any kind of religion or spirituality in my life. And that I went to that rehab and I had a good time. Like, you, you know, I was real good at playing games. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I could quote the 12 steps. I could quote the 12 principles. You know, I could, I could fool everybody if, if, when I needed to, you know, and everybody really believed everybody was like, Oh, this guy's going to make it. This guy's like the best student we ever had, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I was just so manipulative, man. And that's what I was doing, man. And, uh, I would get home, boom, get right back on drugs go to rehab, come home, get right back on drugs, go to jail. I'd get out, get right back on drugs. And that was like the next 15 years. That's what it looked like, man. I would either, I'd go to rehab or I'd get locked up. You know what I mean? Like every year, it seemed like. So I probably went to eight different treatment centers in my, in my life before I got it right. Do you, do you think that the treatment centers themselves, do you think it was the eighth one that helped you get it right or it was just the change that was made within yourself? Hmm. No, it was definitely the change. So, like, you know, like when I do tell my stories, you know, like typically I would like, you know, I'd start in the beginning and I would talk about the, you know, like what I told you about how my, my you know, I looked like my real dad, you know, who's a white man and I had self-esteem issues and I would go through that. And then, you know, when I get to the spot where I started doing drugs, like, I don't talk about that because typically anybody that is listening to me tell my story is also in recovery or still suffering from addiction. And they know, you know, so I'm like, yeah, I don't have to tell you like the next 20 years, like you get it. You know, if you know the life of a street junkie, then you know 100% what I'm talking about. You know, like, yeah. I was you know, I, it was nothing for me to use a needle that I found off the side of the road and not even clean it out. You know what I mean? Just like pick it up and use it. You know, that was the, like I was hardcore, you know what I mean? And I didn't care if I lived or died. I had, you know, all I cared about was using drugs. You know what I mean? The next high. Like I, I didn't care who I hurt to get that. Like it didn't matter. You know what I mean? And when I say like who I hurt, I mean like emotionally and mentally and you know, like the people that cared about me, like I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I only wanted to get high and I did whatever I had to do to do that. But so you, so fast, you know, to the time when I finally got it right is like I had went to rehab in Memphis, Tennessee to this place called Synergy. And Synergy is like a hardcore rehab. It's a year long place and you can get kicked out for just looking 
at the females. And, I, and I'm not even exaggerating at all. It's just, they call it reckless eyeball and they will kick you out. You know, like I made it 10 months there and people don't even make it 10 days there because there's so many rules, you know, but I really was trying at this time. Like I'm like 35, like I had already lived the I was getting high for 20 years at this time. You know what I mean? So I had seen rock bottom plenty of times, okay, at this point. So I came home from Synergy like 10 months clean, and my daughter was like, this this was like April maybe. And so my daughter's birthday is in June, and she was like, all excited because I was going to be home for her birthday, you know, and she was happy about that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be there. And I was like, I was doing good, man. I was working for Ben Reed at his coffee shop or a sandwich shop downtown, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, he Reed used to be a cop, you know, he's all, I'm also related to him, but he, he gave me a chance, you know, he was like, I'll give you a job. You know, you're clean, you're sober, you're doing good. You're taking care of your kids. You know, he was so proud of me and he gave me a job. And also I was, you know, I was really doing well. And, uh, like, you know, relapse is a process, right? It doesn't just accidentally happen. You know what I mean? Like I had some money and stuff and I I saw somebody that I knew sold heroin and, uh, they asked me like, right. I was outside that sandwich shop smoking a cigarette on my break and they, they came there and they were like, Oh, Hey Rob, how you doing, man? We haven't seen you in forever. You know, yeah. Hey man, you need anything? And I was like, nah, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm staying clean, but that's all I could think about, man, for like the next two or three days. And instead of like telling somebody about it or talking to somebody, I just like let that shit build up in my head. Like that's all I could think about, man, for like the next three days. And I saw that person again. And, uh, I was like, Hey, you know, sell me a couple of points, you know? And then, uh, it did, it wasn't even two days later, man. I was back on the street, man, walking the streets. You know what I mean? And, uh, I spent like the next three weeks totally strung out. And then, uh, it ended up being June 14th, 2018. And, uh, I was so depressed, man. I was down there by Pizza Inn in town at like three o'clock in the morning, man. And I had, I had like a whole gram of heroin, man. And, uh, I had like $80 cash. And, uh, I was started crying because I was just, you know, I was like, look at me, man. Like I'm right back here, you know, where I said I wasn't going to be. And so my plan was to just load all that shit up and check out, you know, I was going to, I was going to kill myself. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. uh, then I realized it was June 14th and that's my daughter's birthday, man. Oh, then, wow. Yes, man. I really lost it, Jack. I was like... I was down there by PTN, like boo-hoo and like on my knees, looking up at the sky, cursing God. You know what I mean? I said horrible things to God. I meant screaming them at the top of my lungs. It was like on a movie. You know what I mean? Like a TLC movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was like a serious, you know, I was boo-hoo. And like I've cried. I ain't scared to tell you. I've cried some tears in my life. But this time, man, I was like, I was ugly crying, man, for real. And so... I had this little spot like down there by Wolf's campground by the river that I used to like to go, especially when I was like homeless. I'd go down there by the river and I used to get high, you know? So I was like, that's where I'm going to go. And that's where I'm going to do it at. Because I figured people, nobody would find me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's just what I had in my mind. 
And then when I was walking past Hospital Road to go towards Birdtown, I had this like come to Jesus moment, man. And, and I stopped right there and I looked to the hospital and I looked towards Birdtown, back to the hospital and back towards Birdtown. And I was like, I could walk right up there and check into the emergency room and tell them I need help, you know, because I had been through it so many times. Like I knew the process, you know, I knew exactly what I needed to do to get help. And like, I hated myself because I was really about to go kill myself on my daughter's birthday. And she was young too, like five, six years old, man. And so, man, I decided to throw those, I threw that heroin and that money down in the sewer and I walked to the hospital man and I checked in and they sent me to con and and I I went from con to another rehab so you know I just but see but at this time where I told you I had been to treatment so many times like I knew I knew all the things they had told me from all those many times that I went and I really just honestly wanted it man and and what I tell people all the time is like I didn't want a great life. I didn't want all these things. You know what it really boiled down to was I was tired of being a loser, man. Like I was looking at my life and I finally realized like I was like a, I was a certified loser. You know what I mean? I was 34, 35 years old and I didn't own a damn thing. You know, I didn't even have a book bag full of clothes like, like people got now, you know, like I didn't have nothing, man. Like I, I had nothing. My family was done with me. Like my mom, like, you know, and my kids and uh, everybody, they were just, they were just waiting on me to die. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they could, they knew like there were, Rob was either going to, he was going to die or he was going to get locked up or nobody expected me to get clean, you know? Yeah. But I just decided, man, like I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do, you know what I mean? Because I didn't, that scared the shit out of me. Like I had been suicidal a few times throughout my drug career, but this, this was different, man. This one really like, this one really opened my eyes, man. Like I was scared, you know what I mean? I just didn't, I had been to rock bottom so many times that I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this shit no more. Yeah. I would, uh, just from listening to you, I've, uh, from the, your younger age all the way up till now, I've, I've heard you say that you wasn't scared of anything. You know what yeah. I mean about? How, yeah. And so for you to tell me that you were scared in that moment, and not only that you were scared, feeling fear for the first time probably ever really like that, but also couple that with missing your daughter's birthday, couple that with already you was already feeling like killing yourself. I mean that's that's tough, bro. I, would you say that was the the rock rock the the bottomest of the rock bottom moments, yeah, if you will? Definitely, that's man. Yeah, because you know, like you got you got people now that are like they think rock, you know, rock bottom. Like every addict thinks there's nothing lower than rock bottom, you know. But every time you relapse and you go back out, it gets worse. You know what I mean? And and so by this time, you know, this is like my seventh or eighth relapse, and and fall back down you know and and it was truly i had nowhere to go you know what i mean like no i had already burned every bridge you could possibly think of nobody wanted me around you know what i mean i i didn't want myself around you know what i mean like i was i had never been so close to committing suicide and yeah man it, it scared 
it scared the shit out of me, man. Like all I could see was like my kids and my mom. Like, you know, I was like picturing it, like somebody was telling them what happened. Like I could see and feel everything that they would have felt. And I was like, yo, I, I, I got to stop this. You know what I mean? Like I got to stop this because I knew that there was no, no more relapses in me. It was either get clean or die, you know, like for real, you know, and, and that's not even exaggerating. Like that was where I was at. It was either I needed to get clean or I was going to die, man. So that was your rock bottom. And then you, you went to the hospital and went to come. Um, that would have been the first steps you took to get from there to where you are now. Uh, you you talked about your daughter. Is there, is, I know you got more than one kid, I think, and you got yeah. grandkids. So I was going to ask you, like, uh, is there was there a circumstance or a reason or a person, you know? But I guess it would be your family, right? That I mean, what what was your motivating factor to change, or was it the being tired of being a loser? Man, I think you know when I when I really looked inward, you know, I I hated myself, and and there was no hope. You know, like even at when I checked in at the hospital, right? Like I, I couldn't see what I got now, which is a great life. You know what I mean? Like that looked unobtainable. And so I didn't look that far. You know, I immediately stopped looking that far and I just looked a short distance ahead. Like, okay, I'm in the emergency room. I got to be here until I get to an inpatient room. You know what I mean? And when I get to the inpatient room, then I got to get to treatment, you know, and I was just looking just like when we were locked up, you know, I was looking canteen day to canteen day. That was the only distance ahead I was looking, you know, like short, just short term, because I couldn't see what I got now at that time. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't in the right. I didn't have enough love and hope and respect for myself to look that far ahead, you know, but it was yeah. long too. So like, when I was younger, me and my mom were so close, but my addiction drove us apart. You know what I mean? And it made me say God awful things to my mom. You know what I mean? And, and she, my mom was so strong that she was like, you know what? If you're going to get high, like I, I'm not going to have nothing to do with you. You stole from me so many times. You've lied to me. You've lied to your kids. Hell, I stole from my kids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and she was like done with me, man. You know, and that tough love, I needed that because it hurt me. You know, and in the beginning, I was like, how dare you? I was like, that's fucked up. You know, and, and like, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get out of my own way in order to see that she loved me. You know what I mean? Like, the amount, now when I look back at it, I'm like, wow. Like, you had to be a strong mother lover to cut your son off. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember I called her one time, bro, like, sick and I was like, Mom, I haven't ate in like four days. Could you just go to McDonald's and buy me a double cheeseburger, you know, or something? You don't even have to give me money. Just go. And she just hung up on me. You know what I mean? And it wasn't because she was being a bad mom. It was because she told me, you know, she's like, if you're going to live that life, I'm not going to have nothing to do with you, you know? So, like, she was a big part of that. Me deciding that, man, I got to change my ways, you know, like... I have got to change my ways because it was just so, so dark, man. You know, and that's like and when I told you in the beginning, when I started using the needle and I was having fun, 
and I had no idea where it was going to lead, like that's where it led, you know, like to the darkest place you can imagine. And then a little further, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I tell people all the time. They're like, what was it like? And I'm like, just imagine the worst, darkest thing you can think of and then go a little past that. And that's what it's like. Yeah, then, then add a little bit of withdrawal in there, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, man, it's just, oh, man, it's hell. It really is hell. You know, like, if, if, if that's what hell has got to be like, you know what I mean? Is is the life of an addict, you know what I mean? Yes, I, uh, I know I, I, I keep saying I'll be having these conversations, but you know, when, like, when you're, when you're living the life, how we came from where we're at to where we're now, like, you want to tell people about the life that you can live, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You can live a life like this, too. Matter of fact, you can live one better than this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can live everything you want to do, but we were talking about stuff like that, and it's just, man. Yeah, the, man. The, the love it would take to be able to, you know, you're a parent now. Yeah. Do you think you would be strong enough to do what your mom did for you? And, and you know, see, I don't know, man, like that. She was so strong for that, you know, and it wasn't like she just came out of the gate like that. You know, it's like we had a, a, you know, there was plenty of years of enabling, you know, and I could, I could guilt her out of some money and I could make her feel bad for me. You know, I could manipulate the situation for a long time, but it finally got to where she was like, you know what? I'm not buying your bullshit no more. You know what I mean? Like she knew, you know, that I was, that I was playing, you know what I mean? And, and so I don't know if I could do that, man, you know? I'd like to think that I could, but yeah. man, like it must have hurt her so bad, you know, because I see it from yeah. a totally different point of view now, you know, so now, now we can get to like the good part, you know, that's like all the dark stuff, you know what I mean? Like, man, I got no problem talking about that stuff. Like, you know, that was really a PG-13 version, what I just gave you. And, and because you know, you know what the life is like, but now we get to where the sun comes back out because when I got home, when I came back to the res from treatment, man, I was like, I was, I was over a year and a half clean. And so by this time, like I had always been a loud mouth, right? Even when I was jacked up, I was running my mouth. You know what I mean? Like I was going to say <laughs> what I had to say. You know what I mean? Like, I was going to speak up, you know, cause I, I never was a badass. Like when it comes to fighting and shit, like I got my ass whooped. I was like, I was I I had been in ten fights and I only won one and that was because I cheap shot at the dude. So, but <laughs> I was gonna run my mouth. You know what I mean? So, Say my piece though. Huh? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you about. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm gonna tell you. You know, but yeah, I couldn't. But anyways, when I got clean, man, like I I I was so happy about recovery and the things that I was learning that I found early on that I had a platform. You know, like, and people were listening, you know what I mean? And people were proud of me, you know, like once they seen that I was like, I wasn't talking about it. I was being about it. They believed in me and they, and, and people wanted to hear what I had to say. So I got into like public speaking and motivational speaking and, and, uh, um, I was big about homelessness, you know, and being an advocate, advocate for like homeless people and stuff, you know? So, uh, I started speaking up on it. I got my peer support special certification. Uh, I got a recovery coach certification in the beginning. And uh, I was doing like outreach work and I wasn't making no money doing that. You know, I had a job like I was first job was with Mother Town 
and then I worked at the village and then I got a job at the hospital. But um, always through that, through those first few years of recovery, I was real big about speaking, you know, and going to places and telling my story. And anybody that would listen, I would talk about recovery with them, you know. And uh, I got good at it and I started, I really was like addicted to attaboys you know what I mean like people were like patting me on the back everywhere I was going like it it made me feel so good that I just kept on going man and I didn't stop and uh actually work at the hospital now uh, on an ischemic patient as a certified alcohol and drug counselor you know and so now I get to be like that first counselor counselor that I was telling you about man at Black Mountain that dude that you know played such a big part moment brother yeah, man, you know what I mean? And I think about him all the time, you know what I mean? Because he was like, he was cool, man. He was all padded up, you know what I mean? Like he talked with the same lingo, how we talked. And, and now I get to do that, you know, because uh, there's, um, so the in the where I work at, there's what's called a care team. So there's like a group of us. There's like five of us normally, and we're all counselors, but there's only two of us that are Cherokee, you know what I mean? And the rest are like white people and they're good white people. Don't think that I'm saying like that they're white people, like there's us and them that they're legit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, they're good people, you know, but they don't, you know, you know, you can't connect with indigenous people like an indigenous person can, unless you're indigenous, you know what I mean? And so I get to connect with these people on, multiple levels because one i'm from the community two like i would live that life you know what i mean and then three like i'm not just talking about it like i'm living it like you said you know what i mean like like i'm for real about recovery recovery is my life you know what i mean like that's the most important thing in my life right now it comes before anything else you know because without recovery man none of this other shit would be here man I agree with that personally, uh, 100, 100, 1000%, bro. Uh, I feel like in your recovery, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I, for myself, I have to be selfish. You know what I mean? Uh, I have to put me first because if I'm not good for myself, I ain't good for nobody. Not my kids, not my mom, not my job, not, not anybody, not this podcast, you know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, man. 100% selfish because. I have to take care of me. You know what I mean? Like I got a great job. I got, I got three kids. Um, one of them, my oldest son is grown. You know, he's 21 and he's got a son. You know what I mean? And I got a girlfriend. I got my mom. I got, I got people counting on me. You know what I mean? And so then I got all the people that I help with my job. You know what I mean? And so like, I, I'm no good for none of that if I'm not taking care of me. You know what I mean? And, and, to take care of me, man, I I have to stay clean and sober. You know what I mean? And that's what I I tell people all the time. Like, look, just because you get clean and sober doesn't mean life is not going to be perfect. You know what I mean? There's still going to be stress. There's still going to be problems. But once you find that peace, like that inner peace, and in Cherokee, we call it tohi, like nothing can shake you. You know what I mean? Like, Like, I've lost friends, man. I've lost damn good friends. Even here lately, man, like even death couldn't, isn't, you know, nothing, nothing can shake me enough to where I'm going to be like, yo, I need to get high. 
You know what I mean? And that, that's the goal. That's what I try to teach the guys at con. Like there's another full circle moment. Like I go to con once a week and teach classes. You know what I mean? Where, where I was once a patient, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was always telling them guys and, and the women there that like if, you know, uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. There's no greater connection than being indigenous. You know, like we already have a connection to each other, to the land, to the fire, to everything. You know what I mean? And so we need mm-hmm. to embrace that. And, you know, remember I was telling you, like, when I was a young adult, I didn't even know what it meant to be Cherokee, and I didn't care about none of that. Well, when I got clean and sober, man, I got fully involved with culture, man, on a whole nother level. Like I started learning as much Cherokee as I could. Like, uh, I'm a leader at a stomp ground now. Uh, I play stickball. Anything I can do culturally to, to help better myself, I do it, you know? And I really feel like for us as, as indigenous people that culture can save our lives. You know, like culture is one line that you wouldn't cross even when you was junked out. You know what I mean? Like, I would have stole from anybody, right? When I was junked out. But I wouldn't go to a sweat lodge and act a fool. You know what I mean? Like, because the medicine is that strong, you know, and it's that real and it's that respected. So yeah. instead of running from it, you know, we really need to run to it. Yeah. Embrace it. I think, I yeah. think that helps, helps people because I mean, uh, I can't speak for everybody. Anytime I'm talking, I'm only speaking for myself, but I've yeah. I got to clarify that sometimes. When I got to college, I was the only Native American there, you know. And oh, wow. So it was kind of a culture shock when everybody would be like, hey, are you Hawaiian? Are you Mexican? Are you Alaskan? Are you anything? Sometimes I'd let them guess until it, like, got ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They they were on, like, guess number 17, and we're nowhere close, you know. So oh, just being able to have an identity in your culture and know who you are and where you came from, and be like, this is me, I'm here, you know, I, I think that is, is a big part of recovery, like you say, you know. So I agree yeah, with definitely. that. So you're now, you went from there to, you we went from your childhood and, all around the world to back to the res and we went to treatment multiple times and we, we finally got it with CDAC now. Congratulations on that, by the way, brother. Yeah, That's man. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Yeah, man. I appreciate that, man. And just, uh, just to go into what you were saying, you know, um, it is easy to relate with somebody who looks like you. It's easier yeah. to relate with somebody who, you know, has been where you've been, because I know when I, when I first went to rehab or treatment and I, no, like you say, no offense to white people, but I see an old white man come in with, with looks like nothing like me. And I'm like, uh, and he's trying to tell me about myself. And I'm like, excuse me, sir, but, uh, have you ever done drugs? And he yeah. says, no. So then I got two disconnects right there and I'm, I'm not listening at all, you know? So yeah. I think it's awesome that you're that. And, you know, seeing you and seeing other people in the community, like, get out of the, get out of the darkness and then reach back as the light to help other people make their way out too. You know, that's a big part of me. I, I got my peer support specialist thing last year. Uh, yeah. I also want to, I want to go further into the field, but, uh, just thank you for that being an inspiration. But if, if you could go back and tell yourself in between say trip three and four to rehab, you could tell yourself, say in the, in the height of your active addiction, like, in year 
the year ten of twenty or year fifteen yeah. of twenty. If you could, if you if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say? Man, you know, I would, I would say, wake the fuck up, man. Like, wake, wake your ass up, Rob, because I was so in denial. Like, it, I was like, this is everybody else's fault. You know what I mean? And like, I really thought, man, I and I truly believed that it was only me that I was affecting. You know, I was like, why are you? Why is everybody else so worried about if I'm a junkie or not? You know what I mean? Like, this don't have nothing to do. I did not even see that what I was doing was affecting so many people. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was just me. I thought it was I was the only one that was being hurt. I didn't see the pain that it was causing my mom. I didn't see the pain it was causing my kids. I didn't see the stain I was putting on the community. I didn't see any of that. So I I would just tell myself, man, bro, wake up. Like, look around you. You know what I mean? Like, because now I see it from a totally different point of view. You know, now, now when somebody's still out there using, I, I see the pain in their parents' eyes. You know, I, I see their kids mad at, mad at that. You know, I just see it from a totally different point of view now, man. And, and I wish that I would have woke up sooner. But that's the thing too, man. I got no regrets. You know, I, I was a, I was like I was for 20 years, but my mess is really now my message. You know what I mean? And that's important that, that, you know, my mom, I remember my mom asked me once when I was like a couple years clean, she's like, do you regret all that stuff? And I was like, and I didn't just answer her. Like I really thought about it. And I was like, no, because if I didn't go through all that, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about the things I care about now, you know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't have appreciated living in the mountains and being from Cherokee. And, you know, I wouldn't have cared about sunsets and sunrises and hiking and all the little things that I like to do now, you know, I wouldn't even care, you know, if, if I didn't go through all the things that I went through. I think that speaks to where you're at, you know, and the tohi or inner peace that you've found that you can look back on it as everything happens for a reason, you know. Yeah, man. I know someone asked me a similar question, and, you know, I, I had a cliche response, you know, but I had been thinking about it for so long that I feel like it's perfect for this, you know, when they say, do you agree yeah. I say, well, I ain't going to say I would choose it, the life that I live. But yeah. I wouldn't change it either. You yeah, know what I mean? no, I like that answer. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, but I'm, you know, like just that that the way we used to live and the way we are now is like it's that turnaround that that people are going to remember. You know, it ain't people ain't going to remember Jack Smith for for hustling and getting locked up and and doing all these things. Now they're going to remember you because you turned your shit around. You know what I mean? And that's that's what that that's what I want to be remembered for is, is the turnaround. You know what I mean? Like I got my shit under, you know, I turned my life around, man. And I, when people do that, man, I mean, it's just something to be celebrated. You know what I mean? And, um, now when I see other people do it, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? Like, man, I love that shit. You know what I mean? That that's what gets me hyped up nowadays is, is seeing other people turn their life around. Yeah, it's like almost a new healthy addiction, you know, helping yeah. people turn that stuff around too. 
Uh, yeah, man. And it's like, it doesn't, that's something I tell people all the time, like, especially when I'm down there at the rehab speaking, I'm like, listen, man, you guys, you guys are looking up to me, but I'm looking up to you. You know what I mean? Because you, you just have to, you know, it doesn't matter who's been clean longer. It doesn't, none of that matters. I'm like, we, we, we inspire each other. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how it should be, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. So was that, that message, wake the fuck up, was that tailored just for you? Because my next question is, if we have a listener right now that's struggling with active addiction, what would you tell them? Man, okay. so that was definitely just for me because I was I was so in the dark, you know what I mean? And I get we were all in the dark at one time, but if, if I was, if somebody was listening and you were, they were even considering, you know, getting help, I would say, like to do it and you know it that, that's the hardest part is is to accept the fact that you need help right but you don't have to go through all them chance all the times that it it does it, it you can get it right the first time you know what i mean like by listening you know what i mean and and doing what they say you know like uh we're bad as addicts to to take what we want and and to leave what we don't want you know what i mean but mm-hmm you truly got to change everything. And, and if you get it right, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, yo, it was not that hard. I'm sure you feel like that. Right, man. Like now that you're living, <laughs> it was not that hard, you know? Yeah. Like the, the, what I had in my mind as projected as how hard it was going to be, was way harder than actual doing it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it, in the beginning, right. It's, it's, it's hard, but, you just keep doing it every day, you know, and then you're going to wake one up and you're going to be like, yo, like that was not that hard. You know what I mean? Like it was really not that hard. You just got to stay clean and sober for one day. And then you do that every single day, you know? I mean, I, I, what I compared it to is, uh, when I was out in the streets hustling, getting high and stuff, like, it was not as hard as pulling up to Atlanta by myself as a felon with a gun, you know, in a car with no registration, me with no license, and I'm about to make a $10,000 business transaction. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when I look at it in that vein, I'm like, man, it's easy. You know, I, mean, it, I ain't never going to say it's easy, but like, it's not as hard as what the situations I have put myself in it. Uh, I went a lot harder to get the re-up. I went a lot harder to get my next high than I've had to, you know what I mean? Like, if I can go that yeah, hard, that, I feel like I can apply it to this as well. And it's just, you know, it's just crazy how, because that, see, like, that was, the, the problem is, in the beginning, we're looking too far ahead, you know, like, yeah. like, driver's license, house, job, like those are problems that you don't even have to worry about in the beginning. Just worry about staying clean and sober. You know what I mean? Like that's all you got to worry about in the beginning. And the other stuff will happen. You know, you just got to, you just got to knock them out one goal at a time, you know? And, and if you're doing the right thing, like all the time, even when nobody's looking, then, you know, good things are going to happen, you know, like, life and karma and vibes are going to be on your side for once, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you, man. Um, my, um, so what about for someone who has a family member or a friend struggling? Because, you know, and I know you just alluded to the fact that 
addiction affects so much more than just the person using. Like I might dare say that it affects the people around them more than them, more than the person using, because they're not getting no effects of the drugs. They're just getting the effects of the drug use by that person. You know? Yeah. Man, if when you're if it's your friend or a family member, you're like advice I would say is just love them, you know, and, and there's a fine line between enabling and, and loving, you know what I mean? Like don't enable them, but don't turn your back on them either. Unless, you know, it's, you know, starting to be enabling, you know what I mean? Like you can't love somebody into recovery. You know, I get that hundred percent. You can't even talk them into it. You can't love them into it, but you can pray for them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. You know, you can always pray for somebody, you know what I mean? And, and you can always love them. Just don't don't let it turn to hate, you know, because I, I understand how that could happen, you know what I mean? But you can love them without doing anything to enable them, you know? Yeah, I agree with and, that. And always know, like, as long as that person is still alive, there's hope. You know, if that person's tried five times to get clean and they failed, it's not over. You know what I mean? Because... If that had been the case, you know, I, I would never have made it. You know, you just never know when that the light's going to come on and that person's going to get it, you know? Yeah, I, I I agree with that, too. I've tried a couple times, and I mean, when I say try, I mean, I've had it for a couple times. Like, not had it in a sense, but I thought I did, and I, I think that's probably where I went wrong. But I'm talking about sober for, like, six to six months to a year, you know, have a yeah. job, be involved yep. in outreach. And then like, I, I got a little too comfortable. I thought everything yep. was all great, you know? And then I just, so just that mentality of like, it reminds me of the old, I don't know if you remember when Dwayne Wade was with Converse, when they came out with them shoes, when he played with the heat and they won a title with Shaq before LeBron. Yeah. But he had a commercial that said, fall down seven times, stand up. Oh eight. yeah. And hell yeah. Yeah, That's man. What you said you went to treat me seven times, bro. Like, I wanted to say that right then and there, but I wanted to let you finish talking. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it is. You know, like, you really never know when that person's going to get it right. You know what I mean? So, like, hold on to some hope. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, you know, you don't have to just wait on the person to be gone. You know what I mean? Like, there's hope. You know, as long as that's what my mom and my grandma used to always say. As long as you're still alive, there's still hope, you know? I agree with that, bro. Well, um, man, I just want to say thank you for coming on here today. And I'm I'm proud of you. I see you recovery. We all do. You know what I mean? And not even because you put it out there, but because it's such a, people like seeing heartwarming stories. You know what I mean? Like not only yeah. on the reservation, but especially there. I mean, I know them E60 stories on TV where they show the kid or the person overcoming adversity and winning in life, you know, mm-hmm. They show that because people like to see that and people even more so it's even more of a, it resonates more. I feel like when you actually know the person, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. person yeah. from SoCo too, you know what I mean? They live on the same street I did. Like they came yeah. from where I'm at. So I just want to say thank you for living your life, you know, being a living testimony, like, and showing people that it is possible to recover. We do recover, uh, yeah. Continue to yeah. recover out loud. It don't matter where you came from. It don't matter how far gone you think you are. Like you're never too far gone. And I, I appreciate you for spreading that message, bro. And I also appreciate you for coming on here and sharing your story with me. Yeah, man. I appreciate you, man. I'm proud of you too, man. And and you know I'm all you know, we, I tell you this all the time and you tell me too, man, I am always gonna have you back, man. And uh 
I love the things that you're doing too, man. You know, it's love, man, for real, respect. Always, bro. I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much.